Please join with me in prayer. Lord, I do ask, as your word has been read, and now as I have the privilege and responsibility to proclaim it, I pray that uh, you would give me uh, the words to speak. I pray that Jesus Christ would be lifted up. Lord, I pray that all within the sound of my voice, that your spirit would be at work using your word. Um, Give us uh, renewed faith. Give us a new faith. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. You know, this is the fourth time in my 25-year ministry that I have preached on Jesus feeding the 5,000. But it's the first time that I've preached on it from the Gospel of Luke. Except for the resurrection, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. I read over all my previous sermons as part of my preparations for this sermon... And I don't know if any of you will remember, but when I first came to Westminster way back in 2006, the first uh, sermon series was through the uh, book of James, and then after that I preached through the gospel of Mark. Um, I hit the feeding of the 5,000 in the gospel of Mark right as the housing market was collapsing. It was in full collapse at that time. Panic, uh, not unlike what we hear in the news today, was very rampant. But Christ uh, called us to trust in Him then, and He calls us to trust in Him now. I think it might be helpful to hear the introduction to my sermon Uh, in Mark as we begin this sermon, because it might help us remember that we have weathered great storms as a nation uh, in the past. We've weathered many great storms. Uh, My grandparents suffered through World War I, through World War II, uh, then the Great Depression between World War I and World War II. They uh, lived through the beginning of the Cold War. And just think of our recent history. Even our 20-year-olds have already been through the September 11th terrorist attacks and all the terrorist attacks that that followed after that. They lived through the Great Recession and now are living through a pandemic. I'm in my early 50s, so I expect that I have at least two more national calamities in me before I pass on to meet the Lord. Christ has called us to trust in Him through all previous trials, and He will continue to call us to trust in Him in the future, as well as in the present. Here's my introduction to Mark's account of feeding the 5,000. I preached this sermon in October of 2008 as the market crash was at its apex and less than a month before the presidential election. Uh, Here's what I said. I said, this is a time of testing. Our nation is in a financial mess. Here are the headlines from this past Friday. Of course, this is 11 and a half years ago now. 
The Dow lost 128 points, giving the blue chips an eight-day loss of just under 2,400 points, or 22%. The average of its The average had its worst week on record in both point and percentage terms. The Standard & Poor's 500 Index, the indicator most watched by market professionals, posted its worst weekly run since 1933. The latest loss means that the Dow is down 40% since reaching a record high close of 14,164 a year ago on October 9, 2007. The S&P 500, which reached its high of 1,565 points the same day, is down 42%. Investors suffered a paper loss for the day of about $100 billion, as measured by the Dow Jones-Wilshire 5000 Index. For the week, investors lost $2.4 trillion, and over the past year, the losses have piled up. To 8.4 trillion. Continuing with the introduction to that sermon 11 and a half years ago, uh, I went on to say some of you have lost 40% of your IRAs. Many of you are currently retired, and uh, back in 2008, uh, Westminster Presbyterian Church was made up uh, mostly uh, of older people in the congregation. I would say most of the the congregation was retired at that point. And so this really hit them. So continuing on, many of you are currently retired and you rely on your yearly draws on your IRAs. Others are working in business fields that will stop expanding and begin to contract. Salaries will become lower and jobs will become more difficult to find. No one knows what this coming week will bring. Will the market finally turn upwards? Will it continue downwards? Will it finally bottom out? It's kind of like the questions that we are hearing uh, and asking today. You know, will the, the, the pandemic curve finally begin to flatten? When will it begin to, to be on the downswing? And I went on to say the world leaders are meeting in Washington today to devise a worldwide economic strategy. And so I asked the congregation 11 and a half years ago, how are you going to react? Many of you have already reacted. Several of you have brought your reactions with you this morning and are reacting silently in your heart at this moment. Jesus is testing you. He is very interested in your reaction to these events. He is looking at your actions, your words, and your thoughts. He is looking into the very depths of your soul. What will he find? Anger at your circumstances, fear of tomorrow, depression, and self-pity? Jesus is looking for faith. Will he find it? So that was 11 and a half years ago. Christ is still looking for faith in his people. Will he find it? Well, let's look at the text. The disciples had returned from their internship. Remember, they went out. Jesus sent them out into the villages of Galilee to preach and perform miracles of healing. Well, now they've returned. And Jesus knew that they would need rest and, more importantly, they needed to spend some time with, uh, alone with him. By the way, 
During these unusual times, many of our routines tend to slip away, including alone time with Jesus Christ and His Word. But the greatest rest, the greatest way of refreshment comes from spending time with Him. So I want to encourage you. If your routines have been broken, put as your priority spending time with the Lord Jesus. So Jesus decided that His weary disciples should travel with Him to Bethsaida. Bethsaida was on the top side of the Sea of Galilee, and it was the hometown of Peter and Andrew and Philip. But Jesus did not want to stay in the town because He was seeking a uh, a restful place for he and his disciples. Uh, so they went to a deserted area out of town. Unfortunately, word got out that they were headed in that direction. So people from all over the region, from all around the Sea of Galilee, began arriving. 5,000 men, not including women and children. What a crowd! Jesus knew his disciples could use rest. But instead of turning the crowd away, he welcomed them. Look at verses 10 and 11. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew, to a part, withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of curing. He welcomed them. Did you hear that? Luke expressly says it. He welcomed them. He didn't just allow them to stay. He did not simply tolerate them. He welcomed them. Our Savior is a welcoming Savior. Remember what he says in in uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our Savior is a welcoming Savior. Poor or rich, uh, weak or powerful, Democrats, Republicans, independents, weary, poor sinners are welcomed by our Savior. All who are weighed down with hardship or guilt or anxiety, He promises rest for your souls. If you will come to Him, He will be your rest. I want, I want us to dwell on this word welcome for a few minutes more before we move forward. You know, there's a number of ways that the Bible discusses the fallen humanity or fallen condition of humanity. It speaks of the guilt of humanity, of the corruption of humanity, even the perversity of humanity. And it speaks of those things with a condemning tone. But at the same time, the Bible also speaks of humanity as being lost, as being needy, as being needed. To be pitied. 
And this is Jesus' attitude toward this crowd. In Mark's account of the feeding of the 5,000, Mark uh, lets us see a little bit more of Jesus' welcoming attitude. He said, uh, Mark said, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus sees this large crowd as victims in need of compassion and love. Sin absolutely does victimize humanity. It deludes them. It teaches them that there is something other than God that can promise them and deliver them joy, fulfillment, or purpose in their life. And none of these things will satisfy. They, the the, the world is lost and in need of compassion by Jesus' followers. These people, this crowd of people who uh, followed Jesus all the way around the the Sea of Galilee came from, from near and far. They were in need of compassion. And so Jesus' attitude toward the crowd must direct our attitude toward the world. The world needs from us compassion. The world needs from us welcome. We have a welcoming Savior. The disciples were surely very tired, and this likely prompted their concern for the crowd in verse 12. Verse 12 says, And the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Of course, you know how Jesus answered them. He famously responded saying, You give them something to eat. And uh, in the Greek, is uh, Jesus uh, makes it an emphatic you. Uh, They're not to go find uh, something to eat. You give them something to eat. And of course, the disciples, within their own resources, could not begin to feed the crowd. Why would Jesus say this? Well, John's account tells us why. Uh, Jesus said this to test them because he knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to feed the the 5,000 with uh, two fish and and five uh, loaves of barley bread. But uh, he, he wanted to test his disciples. Why would Jesus give his weary disciples a test? Well, is he trying to discern the quality of the disciples' faith? Is he trying to keep the disciples hum- humble after their great ministry successes as they preached all over Galilee, as they healed people and performed these miracles, cast out demons? Did he want to keep them from being too full of themselves? Well, the testing of our faith is not for informing God on the quality of our faith. God knows everything. The testing of our faith is not for God's benefit, but is for ours. Spurgeon says, Our Lord did not want the disciples to multiply bread, but he desired to multiply the disciples' faith. He wanted not food of the disciples, but faith. 
See, God knows you inside and out. He knows all your thoughts. He knows your present thoughts. He knows your future thoughts. And He knows both simultaneously. He knows the testing you will go through. He knows how you will respond. He sends trials into your life. Personalized trials. Tailored to your specific situation. With the purpose that you would grow in grace. And even your struggles and your failures are used by God for your good. Because He works all things together for good, right? So even your failures and your struggles are used by God for your good and your growth in grace. Robert Murray McShane beautifully says, If we only saw the whole, we should see that the Father is doing little else in the world but training his vines. We are Christ's vines. We are his branches. The point is, we do not need to know the point of the trials that he sends in our life. We only need to respond in a godly manner, and God will teach us the lessons that he wants us to learn. And even when we fail to respond in a godly manner, like the disciples failed um, this test that Jesus gave them. Even when we fail to respond in a godly manner, God is still teaching us. Well, let's look at the, the miracle itself real quickly. Verses 14 through 17. For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so. And he had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. Jesus, he was teaching many lessons Uh, through this miracle. Uh, Too many for us to examine this morning. But one that we should not overlook is that Jesus was teaching that He is the all-sufficient provider. He took those five loaves of bread, those two fish, and He fed 5,000 men plus the women and children that were present that day. Uh, The tense of the verb... Uh, I think it's in verse uh, 16, uh, where he says that that he uh, broke the fish and the bread. It indicates that he just kept breaking and breaking the bread and the fish until everyone was able to eat and was fully satisfied. And so there's a spiritual lesson I hope we'll all learn. Jesus is our all-sufficient provider. And He can do a lot with little. For those of you who think you only have small usefulness for the kingdom of God, offer yourselves into the hands of your all-sufficient provider and see what He'll do. For those of you who who would say, I'm too old and too frail to serve God, well, offer your your prayers as two small sardines and five small muffins 
And God will use your prayers to bring the nations to the feet of Jesus. For those of you who think you're too young, children, youth, if you think you're too young to offer, then offer your obedience to your parents. And in the hands of Jesus, He'll multiply that simple little offering into a lifelong pattern of faithfulness. As we've noted, the disciples failed the test. But instead of receiving a rebuke, Jesus taught them by magnifying His grace uh, as He provided not only for the crown, but He also provided for the disciples. Uh, when we when we sin against God, it's common for our... Um, for our response uh, to our sin, to keep looking over our shoulder and see if God is coming uh, after us with a raised hand in anger to, to punish us. Well, Christ has taken your punishment. He's taken all of your punishment. All your sins, past, present, future. The, the sins you have not yet committed are forgiven. And so God doesn't chase after you with a, with a hand raised in anger. Rather, He pursues you in love because you are His, only, His, His own dear, um, dearly loved child. And He pursues you to help you grow in His grace. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 17 I read it, but it bears reading again. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. How many baskets of leftovers were collected after everyone had eaten? 12. How many disciples were there? Or 12. Is it a coincidence? Not at all. The point that Jesus is making to the disciples is that when you serve Christ and you go, and you go through um, the testing that He sends your way, He will take care of you as you go through the testing. The twelve disciples did not initially pass the test, but they still listened to, to Jesus and obeyed His command. He said, um, tell the people to, to spread out and... and uh, in groups of 50, distribute the bread as I break it. And they did so. And um, afterwards, Christ abundantly provided for them as well. He provided 12 basketfuls of leftovers for the 12 disciples. What does this teach us? I think one thing it should teach us is that all of us go through trials. Most of the time we stumble and bumble our way through the trials. We try to trust Christ, but we also oftentimes have our pity parties and we complain about our circumstances. Yet in spite of ourselves, Christ brings us safely to the other side. And not only does He bring us through, He continues to bless us as we pass through the testing. And so this is the lesson of the twelve baskets Full of bread. When you have endured more than you can think that than you think possible, when you have suffered and suffered and suffered till you feel you can suffer no more, 
Christ will take care of you. And He will be your soul's satisfaction. He is, after all, your all-sufficient provider. Trust Him. As He provides, uh, he provides uh, for us before the trial, and He provides for us after the trial is over, and He provides for us while we are going through the trial. I cannot say how our nation will fare through this pandemic. I think with a fair amount of confidence, I can say we'll pull through. How long? I don't know. But with certainty, I declare to you that Christ will see us, His people, through this time of testing. And as we entrust ourselves to Him, we will come out stronger as we grow in His grace. As we pray together. Oh Lord. We are going through a time of testing. Um, we recognize it because this time of testing is greater than the other times of testing. But Lord we live in a sinful broken world. And each day is a test. A trial. It present, we are presented daily with temptations. That... Uh, that are put before us. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be faithful in looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, in trusting in Him, in being assured of His love during this time, in order that we might faithfully um, not only endure, but persevere and trust you through the testing that our faith might grow, um, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do it, God, we ask. We ask it through Christ, our Savior, who is our all-sufficient provider. Amen. Now receive God's benediction from Jude 24 and 25. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen.